DJ and PK brought to you in part by The Warehouse. Join the big show Friday at The Warehouse from 2 to 6 at 1825 South, 300 West in Salt Lake City. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Oh, boom! DJ and PK, time to welcome in Tim Lacombe, jazz radio studio analyst, former BYU assistant, former staff member at Utah. Tim, good morning. Good morning. So, Tim, we have been discussing a question which you are uniquely qualified to answer. Or some would say. No, you really are. (laughs) So, BYU, trying to close the gap with Gonzaga. And we saw BYU, after getting handled easily twice by the Zags, the third time, they jump out to a big lead, they're hitting shots, Gonzaga's defense, and... They weren't really interested in pressuring guys 20, 25 feet from the hoop. But they got down 12 at halftime, and suddenly they were interested in that. And Kispert got hot, and that made it a game really quickly. And then the last four minutes, they were the better team, and they pulled away. So that's a a one-game deal. But to pull a program alongside of Gonzaga, can BYU do that? How do you do that and sustain it? What hurdles does BYU have to overcome Obviously, there are going to be some recruiting hurdles, and depending on how you recruit, there might be pushback from some of the fan base. Can that gap be closed aside from few retires and or few leaves? You know, I don't uh, – I wasn't very successful at chasing down the Zags. Um, you know, we, 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 we certainly got the better of them a few times, but, um, you know, they are – that number one by their name is pretty ominous. And, you know, just for those that, that aren't aware, that's number one in the country. That's not number one in the conference, um, although they're number one in the conference too. Um, it, it's just what they have going there is, is really amazing. I, I think uh, it, it really is kind of a, a situation where now they're getting, you know, they're in the mix right now for the number one player in the country next year. Um, and Suggs wasn't far off. So they continue to, really kind of elevate their program. Um, but I think what we saw last night, I mean, you know, it reminded me of a game. I All the years run together, but we were we were in a game there in the Orleans late um, that was tight, um, like that game was. I think last night, six minutes, it was tied. And, um, you know, you got to credit BYU with a great effort. But I think the thing that, you know, you wake up this morning, as a coach at BYU, administrator, I think those are the very things that are on your mind. Uh, as great a, a game and season as it was, you know, there's there's unfinished business. You know, you want to hang a banner. You want to win the league. You want to win a conference tournament. And Gonzaga's pretty good at that. So um, I, I think things are trending in the right direction. And I, I really like the direction Mark's recruiting. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, the hard part is you can work on your hand, but the guy across the, the table's got a hand as well, and you have no chance to influence that hand at all. You just got to play yours. So, how would we be received in the BYU community if they fielded teams that had uh, no starters who'd served a mission and they're all transfers coming out, or most of them anyway, and don't fit the historical BYU mode? Well, uh, you know, I, I can only speak from experience in that, um, you know, BYU is a a place that is, is a, 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 you know, for members of the church, and then you, you put guys that play basketball on top of that. 
you know, you, you're always going to have that <laughs> that draw of getting the best players. I think what, you know, uh, I honestly believe, because I've seen this everywhere, regardless of the makeup of the squad, really the only thing that matters, because I think everybody can get behind a winner. Um, you know, if a team is made up differently, I, I really think what – BYU did bring in Gideon George in his story. You know, I think there's there's ways that you can bring transfers um, and guys in that aren't part of the of the faith, but I think that it can really be a promising thing. Can you build your entire roster that way? Uh, I'm glad I'm not the one trying because I would imagine that'll rock the boat. But you know, I think I think Mark's smart. He's gonna. He's going to continue to get the best players he can that want to be there, and then they're going to do a great job of of finding kind of and discovering guys that maybe don't seem like a natural fit that, that look like um, you know that they belong here. Well, you bring up several questions uh, when you say that, and so I guess I'm thinking, well, you can't build a roster completely out of transfers. But if you had a core of guys who were the traditional local guy you recruit, some go on missions, maybe some don't, but most probably do. Uh, I guess the question then is, is the local high school and AAU scene producing enough of those guys, or are there going to be years, even back-to-back years, where you just have to pass because if you take somebody, the best guy really isn't good enough to get to the level you want to get at with Gonzaga. You know, I think that's a decision you've got to make uh, in-house. I mean, our, I can tell you what our philosophy was. Our philosophy was to get the very, very best player we could, obviously, that had a, a keen interest and desire, and BYU was on their list. You know, that it was a, it was guys like... You know, the Haas. You know, people think that TJ and Ty were just done deals. And, you know, TJ was more so because his process was different. But, you know, Ty went right to the wire. Ty was going to go to Stanford. And and thank God we got him because uh, we all know what he did at BYU. And so I think um, I, I do believe, I, I think if you look up the makeup of BYU's rosters over time, um, you know, you're always going to try to get those guys. And then from there, it's really, you know, we, we had some success, you know, going in and fishing out of different ponds. You know, we, we, we made a, some inroads down in Vegas with, uh, with, with Gorman down there, and we were able to get a couple players out of Vegas. And, um, you know, we jumped hard into uh, understanding junior college and tried to take guys that made, made sense. Um, but I really do think as far as Mark's plan and vision, um, you know, pretty much everything he talked about, uh, early on, I think that those things are in play and, you know, this is two years in a row that, you know, last year, if there's a tournament, they're in it. And this year, you know, they've earned their way in and I know how hard that is, man. It's hard to do. And they did a great job in the regular season, you know, to make sure that at this point they're in. Um, there were a lot of tenuous moments for us in this this week off. Um, so can you can you exclusively do it? I don't know um, because I didn't do it. But I, I think that the the staff has a great great feel for 
what works and what doesn't. And I think BYU's evolving a little bit. I mean, you know, I, you can just look at the hair. <laughs> I was talking in passing with a buddy of mine down there who works there. And was like, man, I, I, we had zero Mohawks in the time I was there. And, uh, you know, anytime we had facial hair, we got letters. And so, I mean, I think things are evolving just in time, too. So um, hopefully all those things coupled together, Mark can just continue to build this thing. What do you think Elia Solo brings to the Jazz? Um, you know what? He, he's a stretch guy. He's a guy that another guy that can step out on the floor. I think it diversifies when they go big. Um, we talked about it. We haven't seen a whole lot of favors in, in Rudy, but there are times where you want to go a little bigger. And what he provides is a, a capable, you know, thirty-six percent career. Is that right? Three-point shooter, um, a guy that can step out and shoot it. It gives you some size. Um, you know, I think with uh, with George, you know, it may impact George a little bit because he may get some of those minutes. But I, but I think it's uh, it's just an oppor- a way for the Jazz to be a little bit more versatile. And as the playoffs come, to be able to have, you know, you got to have a couple different ways and lineups to play in the NBA that match um, and maybe even could create an advantage. So I'd say that's what he's there for. 36.5% career three-point shooter. If you go back, there are... Th- I was off. I'm sorry. Here, there, no, you're, uh, that was the point as you were on. The, uh, there were three years in his 20s, uh, two in Milwaukee, and then a portion of a season in Orlando, not a full season, where he did shoot over 40%. There were two years in Milwaukee. He shot 44 and 45%. So he wasn't shooting as many then. If you get him to be selective... Maybe you find spots on the floor. How much can the Jazz coaches tweak and make this better? And how much is this an insurance policy, a tenth guy for occasional matchups, and we shouldn't overthink it? Or if there's an injury, you know, then someone you can plug in, maybe someone who would be better suited to play out basketball and has more experience than Mieoni, who right now looks like the guy before the, this move that you would be plugging in, but you might be plugging into a series, you know, Lakers, Clippers, Suns, whoever that's maybe a little more than uh, he can handle at this point in his career. Yeah, I think that's what he <clears> – <throat> I mean, if, if I were to guess, I don't, I don't think they made a move for a rotational player here. I think I think the, the move is, is like exactly what you and I said, to diversify the bench to, um, you know, to, to see what a guy <clears throat> who can come in there at the floor, just like we see with George, keep the floor spaced and spread. Uh, I think he's really going to – Elisova is really going to benefit from the way the ball moves here. Um, you know, I think he, he saw something. You know, Milwaukee has a, a good idea offensively, but it does stop a lot with Giannis and, um, and Middleton. And I think what he I think he'll be impressed the way the, the ball flies around. And when the ball flies around, that just indicates that the, the defense is a step behind it. And, you know, because the ball the ball is the most important thing; it can move quicker. So if you can move that thing like the Jazz are moving it and share it, I think he'll really benefit from that in his time on the floor. We know going in the All-Star break, the Jazz lost, what, three out of four, four out of seven. And so there was obviously a little bit of slippage, which could be expected because they were winning at such a phenomenal rate. With that in mind, how important is these first few games coming out of the break? I think they're huge. Um, you know, I think if you kind of compare it to a, a game, um, you know, we basically at halftime. And so it's important to come out and be, be sharp, uh, to be really good and, and not show any weakness. Um, I thought last night, 
you know, BYU and the Gonzaga game is a perfect example. I think that BYU really was free and easy and played hard. And, and, but I also believe Gonzaga gave them a little more real estate than they typically do. Uh, at halftime, I think two things happened. I think BYU got a little tight with the lead. Um, and that coupled with Gonzaga being a little bit more um, prone to guarding them closer, uh, you know, that kind of flipped the game back to even. And what the Jazz want to do, really, in this is they just want to keep distance between themselves. And in order to do that, you got to continue to play well. I haven't seen um, any indication that the Jazz will slow down considerably. I was a little concerned, you know, defensively in that stretch. Um, it was probably the area that slipped the most. Um, and even then, you know, the Jazz had stretches in those games where they guarded really well. So it's just a matter, I think, more than anything, this rest and not just not just physical rest, but mental rest to get away from it. I mean, hell, I'm the I'm the pre path and post guy, and I was famished. I was exhausted. I needed a break, you know. So I'm 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 working on my R and R right now, and I can't even imagine what the guys must feel like. So they're uh, they'll come out of the break, in it, but it's really important. You want to maintain momentum, and the only way you can do that is to, to continue to play well. Um, but this Jazz team's really, really focused, and, and I actually kind of like this new addition because it, it'll it require guys to be really engaged, and, and they'll be a part of this where they bring Ilyasova along, and while they're doing that, you know, it'll help them keep their heads where they need to be. And um, but, I, but I like all the direction that this is pointing. I like the way the, the schedule stacks up for sure. So watching that BYU-Gonzaga game and watching uh, what you say about the real estate they were willing to give up, yeah. uh, Quinn Snyder always talks about pickup points. And, you know, for people who haven't played and haven't gotten into this, and, and PK's real, always really into the mental aspect. You know, when do you think you can do something and when do you think you can't? Because that'll decide a big chunk of whether you can do it or not. And I thought Gonzaga in the first half let BYU bring the ball right to the three-point line and run their offense. And they could swing the ball from side to side, and the ball never really left the three-point line. In the second half, the pickup point got extended out five, sometimes even 10 or 12 feet beyond the three-point line. And guys were uncomfortable. Guys weren't looking for shots. They were just looking not to turn the ball over and move it to the next guy and say, maybe we can get over to the other side and get a shot. Can you talk about what that does and what that does to shooters' confidence? Yeah, it's really an astute point, and I saw it right from the beginning. You know, I mean, really the indicator on offense, BYU runs a lot of dribble handoffs. And, you know, like you said, those dribble handoffs were right at the three-point line. And those are such great attack areas as an offense. That's where you want to be. You want to be really spaced, but you you want to be, you know, part of being on attack is is owning that, that kind of intermediate space. And BYU did that really well in the first half, and I thought, again, Zaga kind of, lost that battle it was interesting because i knew mark few would light them up uh, you know the one thing he he won't stand for is bad effort and uh, i think that's one of his his real um and i don't necessarily think it was his bad effort as much as maybe they they were just a little bit lax and byu was just on fire and you know as byu continued to make shots it really does get frustrating so by Going to the locker room, I knew Mark would jump them, and I knew they'd come out with a ton of energy. And you know, I almost expected in that that start of that second half, BYU'd get some back doors because that's really the key to breaking that pressure. Um, but what ended up happening is BYU just got pushed out more on the floor, 
their backs were to the basket. You know, like you mentioned, DJ, that's a really good point. Um, you know, that it was more, hey, I need to complete this handoff or pass as opposed to, uh, you know, let's, let's really drive, create an advantage and kick. Um, so it's a mental part of the game, and, and it's uh, a part that Gonzaga really kind of honed in hard last night in the second half. And BYU, you know, to their credit, on an 11-2 run, they didn't just roll over. They, they had one more run in them and shot and got that thing, like I said, to six minutes tied. Um, and it, it, but really the last couple minutes, Gonzaga just really kind of put the, the, the pedal down and coasted away. Uh, but that is a game within a game. Uh, real estate, you know, isn't just a, uh, a commodity. It's a part of the basketball, and whoever really wins that real estate battle has a really good chance of winning the game. So you've been out of coaching for a couple of years. Is this the time of year you miss it the most? Um, it's funny because, I, honestly, I, I miss the relationships and the associations. But I strategically walked away because I wanted to make sure there wouldn't be a whole lot of longing. And so I almost went a year longer than, than I planned to make sure that this was the course and the track I wanted for my life. So right now, while I enjoy it, it's more like I'm back in high school, to be honest with you. Um, I used to skip school all the time during tournament weeks to sit and watch basketball 24 um, seven. My parents would get so mad, but, it was my, it was what I loved to do. And I never forget to get in the USA today, you know, the Monday of after selection Sunday, and it had a whole section, everything broke down of every team strengths, weaknesses, bracket, you know, who they suggest, maybe some upsets picks. I just love to dive into that. So what I would say is I don't miss it from, you know, the, the coaching seat. What I'm really doing is being able to appreciate it again as a fan, which is really cool. So is Gonzaga going to do it? Are they going to win it all? Are they going to go undefeated? Because you probably go back to, I don't, I don't know how old you are, high school, junior high. How old were you when Indiana went 76. undefeated? I was uh, six years old, Kent Benson and Quinn Buckner. A little before your time, in other words. No, I was You right were cutting school at six. Yeah, <laughs> I was. Really? I was t- First grade, come on. No, I'm just joking. Come on. No, I, I just, you know what I remember about them? I remember the SI cover with Quinn Buckner and, and uh, Ken Benson. I remember that. Um, but I don't know, man. I, I hope they can. Because I will tell you this, there is no finer person on this planet than Mark Few. And he deserves it for what he's done. Uh, he's done a great job. He's universally loved across the game. And it's hard to do that when you win. 90% of your games because you're ticking a lot of people off. Um, but it's hard to do. The reason it hasn't been done for a long time, it hasn't been done a whole lot, period, is it's really hard to do. And the NCAA tournament's all about matchups. You know, it's no different for BYU. They're, they're now sitting on pins and needles. And, you know, I'll, I'll never forget when we were up against it. You know, BYU had not won a tournament game. You know, you speak about all the great years BYU had in their history. Uh, and some of the great players that came through, you know, that 2001 team, they, they won the, the conference tournament, but they still did not win a game in the NCAA tournament. And so it's hard to do that. And and it's all about matchups. So we were, I remember sitting there and we're up against it. We want to win a game so bad in the tournament because we're so tired of hearing that BYU hadn't won one since 88. I think is that the year that they beat somebody? 
Um, well, I think Roger Reed won a game in the early 90s, but... Okay, yeah, oh, 92, 92. 92, I think it was. They beat SMU, I think, was the last win. Um, but you think about 92 to 2007, and that's how long it was before BYU won a basketball game in the NCAA tournament, and that was weighing on us so bad. And uh, we got Texas A&M. We got Texas A&M again. Okay, and then we got Florida out of the SEC in the first round. So we were having these great years. I mean, I think we won 30 games the year we beat Florida, and we still had to play a team like that, a Power Five team who was really tough. Chandler Parsons was on that team; they were good, and we ended up beating them in overtime, and we got that monkey off our back. Um, but my point is, now you sit and wait for matchups, and for BYU, you know, they're looking at first game. Um, and praying that's a great matchup for them. Gonzaga's looking, <laughs> Gonzaga's looking up and down the bracket, right? They're they're in a different place where they're saying, okay, here's our first round matchup, and that's going to be a 16. And then we got to look down. Who's our two? Who's our four? You know, who are, who are the teams that could cause us some issues? And you get right to work on it. Um, and that's what's fun about it, man. Is it now at this point you've done all your work, you put your body you know, in front of the committee, and now they're going to tell you what they think you're worth, and they're going to tell you who you got to beat. And so it's a fun time, a couple of days, and we'll know. Well, you got a few more days of R&R. Friday, we'll hear you on the Jazz pre-half and post. That's right. And uh, I miss Jake, man. I was getting this rhythm where we're kind of like the stepbrothers. <laughs> uh, we were with each other all the time. We actually got bunk beds up there in that studio. If things get too late, we just... You know, say our prayers and jump into bed and go to sleep. So we'll see. We'll see. But uh, Friday it comes. So I'm going to enjoy Wednesday and Thursday like I've never enjoyed Wednesday and Thursday before. (laughs) Thank you, Tim. All right. Thank you all.